How many of you are thankful for God's grace? Just this undeserving, unmerited, not earned love and devotion and goodness of God in our lives. I am so thankful for it. You know what else I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for moments in our life where it teaches us things like that. Are you? I noticed that on Monday night. That the 49ers were just like God. Graciously willing to give you the ball three times within the 20-yard line so you could easily, without even trying or any effort or have to put forth any offensive scenario whatsoever as a team, give you 24 points. See, the 49ers were just like God on Monday night. And it was really the only way you could have ever possibly won. Just like... There's no possible way for you and I to win without Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's exactly what the Seahawks learned on Monday. There's no way to win unless the 49ers do it for you. Yes. All right. Turn to Luke chapter 8. Let's get into some good things this morning. If you are here this morning and you're searching, you're just wondering, what's Jesus like? What, what is life with God like? What's the Bible all about? We're going to look at a story today, this morning, that teaches us about that, and Jesus is going to give us a really basic, simple illustration of what God's Word does in our life, and so I want to encourage you. This is a safe place. This is a great church. You're in a safe place where you can explore faith, explore ideas about God and who He is and what He wants to do in your life, and we're going to look at that in a section of the Bible in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Um, Luke is a great historian. The Bible is full of so many great stories, but there's also history, there's, there's romance stories, there's war stories, there's all kinds of great things, there's also history, there's all kinds of stuff. The Bible is not just one type of genre, it's all of them put together to make for a great story of how God has been working in the lives of people for a long time. And so we want to look at this very helpful uh, teaching that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 8. So look at it with me. I'm going to look at the verse, first three verses to begin with because I think they say something very interesting, even though we haven't jumped into our parable yet. So look at verses 1 through 3 with me that are an introduction to the parable, but just a little bit of history that Luke's giving us about what's going on in Jesus' life at the time. Here's what he says. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, here's what I want to point out before we jump in. First of all is this, this situation where Jesus is traveling around declaring the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, this is very important as we jump into a parable of the seed or of the farmer where Jesus is going to talk about what happens in, in humanity and individuals as this good news of the kingdom of God gets, gets placed upon us. 
What happens when we hear the good news of the kingdom of God? And, and how do we choose to interact with it, digest it, and live it out? What does it do in us and through us? And so that's the beginning. And then it, Luke just gives an interesting little historical thing. The disciples are with him, but then something very interesting is recorded. And what's interesting is Luke records the life of three women. And there's something very specifically powerful about this statement. Here's the first one. The first thing is this. Historically, if you look at historical writings from long times ago, it's very rare, almost non-existent, that women are ever mentioned by name. They're just non-existent. It was just the condition of what women were in. So here's something I find very significant. Jesus was always elevating women to their proper identity and place in humanity. And Luke is noting that. Here's something also very interesting. This also gives Luke an opportunity to show how what Jesus is doing and what he's saying and the miracles he's performing is touching the different strata of society. For instance, there's Mary Magdalene, who is demon-possessed. She's living with seven demons in her, so she's probably near homeless, living in every evil practice possible, and is a complete slave to the demonic forces within her. And now Jesus comes along and sets her free. But on the other end of the spectrum is Joanna, who is the wife of someone that is one of the most influential people in all of society, Chusa. He's running the house of the king. He's wealthy, influential, and high society. So here we have Mary on one end, and Joanna on the other end of society, and they both are being touched and impacted by the good news that Jesus is bringing into the world. Now, this is important as we roll into this parable and Jesus begins to tell us that the word of God is powerful and alive and active, but you and I get to choose how we will let the word of God touch us. And here's what Jesus says in verse four. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Now, just like we do today, the disciples said, hey, Jesus, could you give us a little bit more information? Could you help us out a little bit with the story? And Jesus said, sure. Jump to verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. 
Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Have you noticed have you, as you've read the New Testament that Jesus always uses these simple examples and illustrations to teach us about real life? And that's what he's doing here. He uses the illustration of a farmer to teach you and I about life. Now, this is fairly common to us. We live in an agricultural community all around Cheney. We have these beautiful wheat fields and other crops that grow. And so it's common for us to see a farmer with his big tractor pulling his seed drill behind it, planting seeds in a hope that crops will come up and he'll get a hundredfold and he'll have a great income. Jesus is saying that's what life is like. And in particular, Jesus says the seed is the word of God. So he says, imagine a farmer who's planting his field and he's scattering seed everywhere. Some gets on the path, some's getting on the rocky ground, some's in the weeds, and some's in some good soil. And then he uses all those illustrations to talk about how that is like our life. But first of all, Jesus compares the word of God to a seed. I find that interesting. He could have compared God's word to anything. He could have said, God's word is like an oak tree, strong and secure, big root system, always there, generation after generation. And that would have been a great illustration, but he didn't. He chose this little, tiny, what seems like an insignificant little seed. But he did that on purpose. He was intentional with his illustration and his practical example to us because he wanted us to understand how the process of God works in you and me. See, God's word is more like a seed. A seed is interesting. A seed contains life. There is life in the seed. And when it gets put into a specific environment, the life in the seed will grow and mature and reproduce. But if you throw the seed on your kitchen counter, nothing happens. If you throw the seed on your bookshelf, nothing happens. It must be placed in the correct environment. And God made that correct environment. It's the ground, good soil. And when seed gets thrown into good soil, it has the potential to become a living thing. And when it's placed in that correct environment and it gets water and it gets its nutrients from the soil and it gets its sunlight that God created to come up every day, then that plant, that tree, that wheat stalk, it grows, turns into a living organism 
and reproduces itself. And Jesus says, the word of God is just like that. The word of God is life. Every word, every verse, every chapter, every story, everything is life. And every single time you and I open it and read it and study it and memorize it and put it into practice, life can happen. But if you and I choose to leave our Bible closed on the kitchen counter or on the bookshelf collecting dust, nothing happens. There's no life. Nothing's reproducing. There's no growth. It's just dormant. See, the Word of God needs the proper environment, the proper place for it. And that proper environment for God's Word is the human heart, the human mind, the human spirit that was created in the image of God. In that place, the life of God's Word the goodness of the teachings of Jesus Christ can grow and thrive and reproduce themselves all over the world as God's word is believed and trusted and studied and memorized and put into action. Jesus says the life in God's word is being scattered everywhere. That the Holy Spirit, in John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, Jesus said the Holy Spirit is scattering God's word and the goodness of Jesus everywhere, all around the world. And you and I are touched and impacted by it all throughout the day. But we get a choice to decide what kind of soil we're going to be like. And then Jesus launches into the deeper meaning of the illustration. And Jesus says there are three possible outcomes with the word of God in our life. There's three possible outcomes. No growth, some growth, but no maturity or no fruit, and then good growth and full maturity. Those are the three things that Jesus talks about. The first outcome of God's word is no growth. Let's look at that. No growth is described in verse 12. It's the seed on the path where Jesus said, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. See, there's something extremely essential about the word of God and you and I. We must believe it by faith. We must grab a hold of it by faith and say, this is the truth. I need to believe this. But what Jesus is declaring is that when the word of God is proclaimed publicly and privately, a spiritual battle starts to take place. Same is true for you and I when we read it now. Same is true when you read it and maybe you didn't believe in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you don't believe in Jesus now and you read the Bible and you just think it's a bunch of nonsense. The reason you think it's a bunch of nonsense is because there's a spiritual battle that happens right away and the devil comes and snatches it away from you so that you don't believe it by faith. See, Jesus is declaring that there are forces at work 
among men and in the spiritual realm that prevent us from believing in God's word by faith. And whether you've read it for the thousandth time or you're reading it for the first time, that spiritual battle happens every time. Happens every time. I mean, there, there's still stuff that I read and I go, ah, come on. And God says, no, you need to start living out that promise in your life. I mean, you've been walking with me for 35 years and you still haven't let that promise sink in yet. I'm working on that one with you. It's right there. See it? Let's, let's come on, believe that one by faith and let's start living it out. It highlights that there's a spiritual battle. It indicates that that there are forces of good and forces of evil, that there's right and there's wrong, that there's truth and there's non-truth and that it's being broadcasted all the time, that there will always be this fight against the mission of Jesus, the proclamation of God's word and the truth that is declared in the Bible. That's true. That is what happens when seed touches people, when the word of God touches people. That can become the first outcome of God's word, no growth. The second outcome of God's word is some growth, but no fruit or no maturity in your life. And Jesus actually uses two examples to explain this. Seed that is thrown on rocky soil where it can't develop a root and seed that ends up amongst the weeds where the weeds choke it out. Look at it with me. First is the rocky soil. And I'd like you to look at a verse in the message version that says it kind of interesting. Listen to how the message version talks about the rocky soil. It says the seeds in the gravel are those who hear with enthusiasm, but the enthusiasm doesn't go very deep. It's only a fad. And the moment there's trouble, it's gone. See, for some, Jesus is just a fad. He's not Lord of my life. He's not Savior of my life. I'm not a true follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not a disciple of Jesus Christ. I just like him. I really like him on Christmas because I'm super happy he came to earth so that I could get presents. So I really like him on Christmas, and he's kind of fun on Easter because I get Easter eggs. What that has to do with Jesus, nobody knows. But it's cool because it's a fad, because Jesus is a fad, right? It's not going very deep. The rocky soil is an example of, of you and I when we, we, we see the spiritual significance of God's word, but when it comes to embracing the spiritual disciplines that we need to grow deeper in Christ and to grow a root system in God, we simply say no. So anytime there's a moment to go deeper with Christ, we generally just say, mm, that's not for me. So when we talk about jumping into a relational environment or praying out loud or reading your Bible daily, we just kind of say, ah, I'm good. And you don't go deeper. You don't dig a root. In the original language, this word test also means trial and temptation. And Jesus says, when the trial and temptation or the testing comes along, because there's no deep root, because I haven't been spending time in God's word and the promises are true for me, when a difficult time comes along, I don't have any truth to stand on. 
I don't have any foundation with God. And so I just topple over like a pine tree. Have you noticed that pine trees often fall over in the wind? It's because their root ball is so small. It doesn't go deep. So it's easily topped over in, in the wind. While the cottonwood in my backyard that I would love to fall over in the wind has a root system somehow in my front yard. How does the tree in my backyard have roots in my front yard? Because it's going deep. I don't know if they're under my house and then in my front yard or around. I don't know, but all I know is this root system is crazy. And even though I want that tree to fall and pray for that tree to fall, and every time the wind blows, I say, Lord, let that tree fall. (laughs) Not on my house, but fall. It never does because its root system is strong. That's what happens when you get in God's word. When you're tested, you realize, I'm okay. God's okay. We're going to make this. See, we all have tests. And tests are necessary in life. Because tests quantify what we believe, what we think. That's why we're in school. When we're in school, you college students that are in school, you probably think, right, oh man, I hate tests. But tests are good. Tests help you discover what you know and what you think. And by the way, tests help you go to the next level, right? So when we're in first grade and we learn two plus two is four and three plus three is six and four plus four is eight, we're building these concepts. And then the next year, we start to multiply and divide. And then the next year, we start doing, adding and subtracting in fractions and on and on. And you're building and building. And then one day you're in calculus class and somebody says, you're pretty smart. You must have been in calculus in second grade. And you go, what? No, that's not how it works. Well, how did it work? Oh, I built all these concepts one on top of the other until I became mature. Oh, that's how life works. That's what Jesus is saying. When you trust in me, I keep teaching you things. I keep testing you. I keep putting you in situations to see how you're going to respond, whether you're going to trust in the world or you're going to trust in me. Whether you're going to worry about that or you're going to follow me. See, the same thing happens in life. We're being tested all the time about what we believe about life and how life should be lived. Should life be lived with God or without God? Should we go on our own? Come up with our own morality and ethics and sociable, acceptable living? Should we decide for ourselves what is best for our government and our nation, how marriage should be lived and parenting should come about and what's right and what's wrong? Or should we believe the absolute truth of God in his word that he's given for every generation to understand the goodness of God, the direction and the wisdom of the creator of our world? This is the test. And this is the test you and I are in every day. It's tested in all kinds of ways, in little decisions we make, how we treat those around us, how we react to our children, what we say to the people around us, the words that come out of our mouth, the football teams we root for. All these things are happening all at the same time every day. That's the seed on the rocky soil. Then there's the seed that falls in the weeds. Now, the weeds are interesting. In the message version, it says, and the seeds that fell in the weeds, well, 
These are the ones who hear, but then the seed is crowded out. NIV says choked out. And nothing comes of it, of hearing the word, as they go among their lives, and then three things, worrying about tomorrow, making money, and having fun. Jesus said, there are certain things in our life that will choke out the goodness of God, that will choke out the life of God's word. And there's lots of things, Jesus just lists three, that by the way, were very near and dear to the Jewish culture. They would worry about tomorrow. They spent all their time trying to make money and have fun. Now, thankfully, they're the only culture on the planet like that. So we'll just skip this part, right? Because it doesn't apply to us. <laughs> Except we all do this, don't we? <laughs> This is, this is us. This is humanity. This is what we all do. And isn't it crazy how you just wake up one morning and realize, oh my gosh, I don't trust God at all. I don't trust him at all. All I do is worry about tomorrow, all day today. And it consumes me and makes me depressed and angry and frustrated. And all I'm consumed with is worry. And Jesus said, exactly. And it's choking the life that God has for you right out of you, isn't it? Uh-huh, it is. And then Jesus says, you know what else can just start to choke it all out? Is making money. When you focus all of your time, all of your effort, all of your thinking on making money, then it'll choke out the goodness of God. It'll choke out the life and the teachings of the Holy Spirit. See, when we spend all of our time and all of our efforts on making money, and, and nothing else matters, and all we do is chase the almighty dollar, then guess who's not the almighty? God's not. And Jesus says, if you're chasing the almighty dollar, then that's your God. God's not your God because God can take care of you. God owns a lot of money. And if you trust him, if you don't worry about tomorrow and just give your life to him, he'll take care of you. He said in Matthew 6, if you trust in my kingdom, I'll give you everything you need. You won't have to worry about a single thing. But we do anyway. And then lastly, Jesus says, here's what I need you to know about God. He does not ever, ever want anyone to have fun. Ever. He's such a mean, bad, awful ogre of a God. He never wants anyone to have fun. That's not true, is it? What Jesus is saying is if we spend all of our time chasing after fun, like we chase after money, we will ignore some serious parts of life, some real parts of life, and probably ignore heaven itself, eternity. Because all we're focused on is having fun. Have you ever had somebody tell you, hey, don't talk to me about God, I'm having fun right now. Anybody have anyone tell me that? Or... Oh, you were the one that said it. Okay, all right, that's fine, that's fine. We've all said it, so that's fine. We're in good company. Probably all said that or heard somebody said it. Hey, you know what? God's just a killjoy. He's, he's gonna make me stop doing what I'm doing and I'm having fun doing what I'm doing and I don't wanna do that. Let me tell you something. 
I have a lot of fun in my life. Have you noticed? I do a lot of fun stuff. And Jesus goes everywhere with me. And we have a lot of fun together. My family has a lot of fun. Our church staff has a lot of fun. If you can't tell, Cooper's just having a fun time making fun of me in front of you. <laughs> right? That's what we do as a staff. We're having fun. This life with Jesus is just fun. It totally is. But here's what I've discovered. God's idea of fun and our idea of fun are different. Because here's what we say. As a humanity, we say, whatever feels good, do it. That's fun. That's fun. So whatever feels good, I'm going to do it, and I'm, that's fun. And here's what I've discovered, because I've met a lot of people that have said this. You know what? That mindset, that mindset of saying, do whatever feels good, that's what made me a drug addict. That's what caused me to have that affair. That's what has me in financial trouble right now. That's what's ruining my family. That's the reason I have a really serious health issue right now. That's why I'm stuck in prison, because I just followed my feelings. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you spend your entire life just following your feelings, you'll get stuck all the time. And that's not what I have for you. In fact, here's a little known thing about God. God didn't create weeds. What, what do you mean God didn't create weeds? They're everywhere. Weeds were not created. Weeds in the ground and the weeds in our life are there because of sin. They are not a created work of God. And they're never what God intended for our life. In Genesis chapter 3, when God was handing out the consequences of sin, look at what he said to Adam. He said this. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. See, before sin, you just threw seed wherever you wanted and it grew. No weeds, no problems, no issues in the ground and in your life. There was no depression, no heartache, no pain, no relationship issues, no struggles, no nothing before sin. The moment we start to sin, the weeds start happening in our heart, in our mind, in our spirit, in the wheat field. See, weeds are a result of us saying, let's do this without God. That's what weeds are. And the moment we say no to God and we've got it all figured out and God's word is just a bunch of nonsense, we end up in the weeds. Now, let me point out also that God was not saying that Adam was cursed because he didn't listen to his wife. I think that's important to point out there because he starts off because you didn't listen to your wife. He meant specifically about this one issue. He wasn't saying just don't ever listen to your wife. I wanted to make that clear because some of you might have gotten that from the text and that's really not what he meant. He's totally in agreement that this is a mutual relationship where you all listen to each other. Got it, right? We're good? Okay, great. 
The third outcome of God's word is growth and becoming mature. No growth, some growth, but no maturity. The last one is the seed hits good soil and there's growth and there's maturity and there's reproduction a hundredfold. But the seed in the good earth, these are the good hearts who sees the word and hold on to it no matter what, sticking with it until there's a harvest. NIV says that word is perseverance. We know that word in scripture as faithfulness. When you and I grab a hold of God's word by faith and live it out faithfully, we are exhibiting the nature of good soil. When you and I open our heart and open our life, open our mind to the goodness of God, to everything in his word, we discover all of the good things that God has to offer a human life. And they all begin, excuse me, to be a part of our life because we said yes to God's wisdom. By the way, not all the wisdom is easy to hear. But is it all wisdom? Is it all truth? Yes, it is. But not all truth is easy to hear or easy to understand. Faith and faithfulness. Our lives can be like this good soil. When we embrace the life of Jesus by faith and choose to live it faithfully according to his teachings, we exhibit that good quality of faith and faithfulness. Now, Jesus made a specific comment about life, about the good soil that, that separates it from the path, from the rocky ground, and from the, the weeds. There's something that separates the good soil from all of that, and that's perseverance, sticking with it, faithfulness. See, faithfulness to the spiritual disciplines of being in God's word, standing on the promises of God, praying and talking to God regularly throughout the day, growing in a relational environment, serving Jesus, giving financially, trusting God through every test, avoiding the things in our world that choke out the life of God. All of those things are what make our life good. And when we choose to live that way, Jesus says, you will see great reproduction of God in you. Would you stand with me? This message that Jesus gave about God's word is so important for us. Because God's word is life. Hebrews 4 said that God's word is alive. It's powerful. And it touches our heart and changes us, makes us new. This morning, as we just begin to go about our day, about another week, I want you to know that this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. That life is like that. 
There's things that are coming into each of our lives that are going to challenge our trust in God and our faithfulness to God. And as we just go about life, you and I, we get to choose. Part of this parable is that the word is getting scattered, but we get to choose. How are we going to let God's word impact our life? Am I going to allow my heart and my mind and my life to be like good soil? Or am I going to shut God out? That's your choice and mine every day. Let's close with just a quick response to God's word. So would you close your eyes and bow your head with me as we pray? And I just want us to respond real quick. Maybe there's something that the Holy Spirit has been saying to you or speaking to you while we've been talking this morning. And you, you know that there's something that God has just been revealing to you from his word and from his spirit about your life. It might be that you need to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. That you need to open your heart by faith and say yes to Jesus. And say, I want a relationship with God and I don't ever want it to go away. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you've been walking with Jesus for a while. But you know there's some things that you just haven't been faithful to. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is saying to you, would you work on that area? I so want to make this area good in your life. But I need you to surrender it to me. I need you to trust me with it and stop worrying about it. And I need you to start focusing on me and my kingdom a lot more than you do on this world. If there's something in between those two spectrums and you just feel like saying, God, would you help me with that? Would you just raise your hand? Just let it be seen to God and just say, he knows what's in your heart and he knows what's going on there. And, and thanks for those hands that are going up all over the room. You can put them down. I want to pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for these hands that were raised this morning. Maybe some of them just saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Others saying, I need to say yes to a specific obedience act where I know what God's word is telling me to do and I just, I, I like to do my own thing. But I recognize this morning that God's calling me to a higher place. He's calling me to a better place of faithfulness and obedience in him. And I want to I live there. Lord, I pray for all those hands raised that you would help them to, to live in that place. And then Jesus, I want to pray for all of us in the room. I want to pray that you would give every single one of us here a fire for your word, just a love and a passion for your word that we would wake up in the morning and one of the first things that would cross our mind is not our to-do list or not what's going to happen at work, but, boy, I can't wait to read some of God's word this morning or on my lunch break or when I get home from work and I have some time to dive into it. I can't wait to read the verse for the day on my Bible app. Lord, would, would your word just begin to be everywhere in our church, everywhere in our city, and would it just penetrate hearts and lives everywhere around the world so that people could, be, could believe and be saved 
and so that the people of God could live in the promises of God and in the fullness of the Spirit in the greatest capacity possible. That's our prayer this morning, Jesus. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your presence and your power that's at work in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen.